0: welcome to episode 156 of maximize your influence i'm steve olson and i have kurt mortensen locked and loaded here with me obscure journals in hand ready to talk about things ready to punch urkel buttons ninjas and homer simpson buttons kurt it's getting cold it's raining fall is coming i do not like this i do not approve
1: oh no i'm in denial we've got a few more days left there's a few more boating days that are out there i can feel it. it's in the air well Actually it's kind of cold in the air but it'll change. You got to have a little little faith.
0: <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Not in it's weather. There's got
1: to be one or two days left, right? A little sun. It just has to get above 70 degrees for me. 70 degrees, no wind, done
0: deal. I do like the dry air of the western US. I was in Florida over the weekend looking at houses. It's exhausting.
1: Yeah, that uh, sucks the life out of you sometimes, that extra humidity. and It's so much different on the West Coast if you don't realize it until you go back there. I remember moving to Pennsylvania and going for a jog, and I was going to take a shower and get some things done. But I kept sweating, and I kept sweating. It didn't stop. It didn't stop. That's a huge difference from being real humid and dry.
0: Yeah, it takes like two hours to stop sweating. It does. I don't so I don't
1: know where it's coming from. Like, okay, I haven't run for an hour. I'm still sweating. I Versus know. Versus if you do that, say, in Vegas, you're done. Five minutes later because it's so dry.
0: Yeah, those pores seal right back up. I, I was going <laughs> through vacant houses that didn't have any air conditioning or power in them, so they're just sitting there in that heavy Florida air. And so you go in the house, and you'd rather go outside. It's just so, so stinky hot. So <laughs> Maybe yeah. you
1: should have got gator hunting. Get yourself one of those airboats and uh, go gator hunting.
0: Yeah, I've always wanted to do that.
1: All I told my daughters, hey, we're going gator hunting. Come on. Give me a nice airboat, move to Florida, right? I guess you could create a nice pair of boots because it's legal now, right? They have so many gators, they don't know what to do with them now.
0: Yeah, there's tons of them. In fact, I did see one. When you land at Orlando Airport, you go from the terminal, you get on that little train, right, into the main part of the well, airport. Yeah. And you go over that lake. And I saw one swimming in the lake. <laughs> yeah, he's just hanging out at the airport waiting for for whatever. I actually wouldn't mind going boar hunting either.
1: I think that oh, would be kind of I, about that. I hear they're pretty mean.
0: That's what. Yeah, this sounds kind of we demented, but I don't want to go hunt elk or something. I want to hunt something that can fight back a little bit.
1: <laughs> we used to go out to Catalina Island out there off the coast of California, and they had boars everywhere, and we found out real fast: is a, they're not scared of you, and b, they are mean. I didn't know and they had c, boars in California. And c, you've got to run fast.
0: Wow, really. But-
1: they had a huge infestation, and they, in fact, I think they took care of it since then, but they were everywhere.
0: They have babies a couple times a year in huge litters. They just multiply like crazy.
1: That is a bad formula, I think, between <laughs> mean boars and... <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was just doing the numbers in my head. I'm like, that can't be good. No wonder the island of Catalina was overrun, because it's just a matter of time.
0: Well, tell you what, if I go, we'll have ribs. How's that? Uh,
1: boar ribs? Yeah. I, I'll try. Th- I've never had that. I'll try it. Yeah, try it's, a,
0: you know, it's a pig. It's got to be good. We are <laughs> pro-pig on the show.
1: Kind of pig. Despite yeah. our
0: large Iranian contingent of listeners.
1: Well, there's your, your first offense of the day. You did it within the
0: first couple minutes. I'm just getting started. All right, <laughs> let's get into into the show today. We have a, an article that it's going to shock you, yet it's not going to shock you. We're going to come across as extremely shallow on the show but it's it's funny that kurt brought this article up because i was having this discussion with my wife the other day about does money buy happiness and we both regretfully and very shallowly if shallowly is a word <laughs> agreed that yes <laughs> yes it does happiness yes is for sale. it does <laughs> <laughs>
1: And now the studies show that it does. But we've always known that. And this is one of those things that offends a lot of people, too. Oh, we can't talk about that as money by happiness don't does? Well, yeah, it kind of does. The studies show there is a correlation between money and happiness. It's just kind of how it is. One of the things they brought up is that when you go from poor to maybe middle income, there's a lot more happiness than going from rich to super rich, Right. If you're living on the streets and you move into an apartment, that's going to trigger more happiness than moving from a 5,000-square-foot house to a 10,000-square-foot house. <laughs> okay, So there's some things in there, and, and we've always known that money makes you more of what you already are. So if you're not happy and you get more money, you're going to be more miserable. But for the most part, the big picture, as they did the study, there is a correlation. And we don't like to talk about it, well, money's the root of all evil or all these other things that we make up if we don't have money. But the reality is when you don't have to stress about retirement or the mortgage or paying the bills and you're spending more time with family and giving more to your church, or your charity, it does trigger a lot more happiness. And the studies finally came out and proved that there is a link between money and happiness. And we've known that in a lot of ways, but a lot of people are in denial about it. And it dep- does depend on countries as far as how happy they are when they make that shift. But the big picture is, is money does make more of what you already are. And it's a tool that can be used for great good. But now the studies are in, it's finally here. Yes, money does make you a little happier.
0: So there's got to be some kind of diminishing return there. I once heard, and because I heard it means it's true, that at about $20,000 a month, that's where you could make more than that, a lot more than that. And it doesn't necessarily increase the level of your happiness. And I think that's what you mean, is you look at, you an know, average person, let's take somebody in the United States. I think whether you lived in Manhattan or South Dakota, right? Obviously there's a cost of living difference there, but you know, if you make $20,000 a month no matter where you live, you're probably pretty comfortable unless you're an idiot, right? And you <laughs> you've got a couple Ferrari payments and and are just really irresponsible, but at that number you can kind of do whatever you want, right? You could Go on some good vacations every year. You can pay all your bills and have leftover. Go out to dinner, buy people presents, donate to charity. And then it just really doesn't matter after that because, like I said, unless you have some crazy, crazy spending habit, most people just don't need more than that. I agree. It definitely does buy happiness because as somebody who doesn't have any of it, or the chances are they are not happy.
1: Yeah, it goes back to our favorite Harvecker quote. When somebody says, money's not important, you look them right in the eye and say, You don't have any, do you?
0: You don't have. Yeah, that's. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's just something broke people say.
1: That's what he says. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of truth to that. I agree. You know, where do you draw the line? And to, I think to a lot of people who have a lot of money, it becomes a game after a while. Mm hmm. But it's also, it's you know, you do a lot of great things in the world with, with money and these tools. But the, the research is it. I think we already, deep down, already knew it. But now it is proven.
0: It is proven. We're going to go ahead and post a link to that study on the blog. So watch for that. Go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com to check the study out. And as always, please subscribe to the show on iTunes, on Stitcher, and Windows Marketplace, and all those fun things that I just beat like a dead horse every single week. All right. <laughs> Well, do it. Please, please. please. How's that? Yeah, that's my plea. That's effective persuasion, everybody.
1: <laughs> right. there. Right.
0: Begging the 13th law of persuasion.
1: If you don't get what you want, just beg until you do.
0: Yep. Yeah. We've talked that's about
1: the law, the law of the teenager. actually.
0: Of the te- well, I think we're yeah talking about the 12 laws of persuasion ex- extensively on the show. I think we've talked about all of them. Those are in your book, Maximum Influence, correct?
1: Oh, good plug. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even pre-plan that plug. It just kind of fell out.
1: Just kind of, it was natural and it just flowed and you get 10 points. Oh, good, good. (laughs) I don't know what you do with the points, but you get them
0: anyway. (laughs) Yeah, right. Right. Turning into the dollar, uh, not worth very much anymore. So (laughs) I told somebody that It's, it's amazing how much more my groceries cost than they did last year. They're getting expensive. Stuff gets expensive. getting
1: expensive. They're paying more and getting less because each little thing of yogurt has a little bit less, a little bit less, and more and more concave, so they don't raise the prices too much, but you're getting a lot less too.
0: Yeah, we have little kids, and you know those packs of uh, like the frosted cookie circus animals. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Uh, we were, my wife and I were shopping the other day, and and we're pretty pathetic because you know, have three kids, they're young, and sometimes. If we somehow have a babysitter and able to get away, we spend that time by grocery shopping. I know that's really (laughs) romantic and really exciting, but it's kind of weird that we like it because you can just walk down the aisle and get stuff. Because it is a complete circus taking three little kids to the grocery store. It's just exhausting. More exhausting than walking through houses in Florida.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that is true. Sometimes when they want everything from every aisle... It just drains.
0: It's a him. constant and negotiation. It's
1: also kind of fun to go look at see the other ones that are bringing their kids. And when you're like, whew, glad that's not me.
0: Now, I still maintain little kids, they're just cold-blooded negotiators. They, <laughs> they are the best. But we saw some of those circus animal cookies. I didn't mention that just out of nowhere. And we picked up the bag, and I go, hey, we're going to get some of these. And I picked it up, and it was like I was holding a, an inflated bag with nothing in it, right? There's a couple <laughs> of things rattling around in there. And I go, oh, that's a ripoff, and I picked up another one, and, and they're all like that. You know, they blow the bag up with a bunch of air and put, like, two cookies inside.
1: Air's cheap. That's true. So it looks good. The presentation's good, but you open it up, and nothing there.
0: Yeah, yeah. It makes you question everything, you know, how much is really in this stuff that you're buying. So... That's totally an unplanned tangent. We were going to talk about the concept of inoculation today because we have hit on the psychology of objections, the mindset of those, how do we solve them? And this was way early on in the podcast, touched on inoculation briefly. I think we'd all rather just not have any objections if we could have our way, right? Just, you know, the prospect quietly behaves themselves and listens and says, where do I sign?
1: (laughs) In a perfect world, that could happen every once in a while, but you're going to get those questions and objections, and they can be a good thing, and also sometimes it's like hitting a brick wall.
0: Yeah. Also sometimes, and what we're talking about here is you can just get them out of the way in advance, and much of that is accomplished by making sure you're talking to the correct prospects. So we have made that assumption here that, okay, you actually have leads that are interested in your product, and, and most of them are qualified to buy your product, Right. You're not selling ice to Eskimos, so to speak. There's there's motivation here. So that assumption out of the way, there's always going to be a couple of objections that you're always going to get. People are going to think of them. It's a knee jerk type deal, and we want to take them away in advance. And I don't know. You probably coined that term inoculation as it pertains to to sales training, did you not?
1: Yeah, I think I did. the The reason we use the term inoculation is just from the medical field where you get inoculated. You get a weak form of the disease that will give you the antibodies to defend the strong form of the disease. And the same thing's true in persuasion. Because if you're getting the same objections over and over again, your role as a persuader is to pre-solve them before they even happen. Because a lot of times when you're talking to a prospect and they have an objection, they have a question, it's a brick wall for them. They're stuck. You keep going with your presentation, they're stuck. I remember me doing this in seminars. I talk about persuasion software I create. It goes through all 77 objections, what to do when people are angry, what to do when people are indifferent, and how to – so they just click on a button. It gives you all the different options. It was a lot of fun to create. So I'm talking about in a seminar about this persuasion software, and I started talking about some of the benefits. And then I hold, I don't know if you remember those floppy disks, those five and a a quarter floppy disks from way back. Yeah,
0: yeah. I don't think anything (laughs) exists that can read those anymore.
1: And that's the challenge. So I'll hold up. I'll say, you know, my programmer's a little nostalgic. We're using these older floppy disks. And I hold it up, and I'll keep talking about the benefits and the persuasion software and what it does. And then I'll take a little time out, and I'll say, okay, what just happened? Because they're looking at me thinking, is he stupid? Did they really use that? I think he's stupid. Well, I don't know where, where did he get that. I haven't seen one of those in 20 years. Yeah. I wouldn't even have anything to read that. Yeah. So they're, they're going, all these things are going in their mind. They didn't hear one of the benefits that I said because they hit this brick wall. Just to, as an example of why it's so important. And so what inoculation does is you're pre-solving the objection before it happens. And that's what I've done is with great persuaders, solve it before it happens. And when you can do that, the presentation goes a lot smoother. They're not hitting a brick wall. And it makes a huge difference in what you're you're able to do. We see it all over the place where people tend to inoculate. You're pre-solving objections or you're giving them ammunition when, uh, say, a question or objection or situation arises. For example, we know our children will be hit by drug dealers, right? They're going to be approached by drug
0: mm-hmm. dealers. It's going to happen at some point.
1: It's going to happen. Yeah. And you could be in denial, not my child, not my child, but hello, it's going to happen. And so you give them the tools, you inoculate them and say, look, this is what's going to happen. They're going to make you feel stupid. They're going to make you feel dumb. They're going to give you free samples. They're going to use peer pressure. This is what you do. This is what you say. So when that happens, they have the tools, the ammunition, the antibodies to defend against that. So there's a variety of things that you can do to use this. Even lawyers are really good at this because this is what a lawyer does. If their client, let's say, is on trial and everyone knows he's a bad member of society, the lawyer will come up and say, look, My client is mean, ugly, dumb, and a bad member of society. (laughs) But that's not why he's on trial today. And so if the other side ever brings that up, it doesn't have the same sting. And even in politics, right, they leak a little bit out, leak a little bit out, inoculate, inoculate. So when that big thing comes out, we're more prepared for it than if it just all happened all at once.
0: Okay. Okay. So can I get on a question here? I'm going to take your inoculation term and, and get a little bit literal here. Tell me if I'm going too far. Is it possible that we're trying to inoculate somebody and we give them too strong of a dose and, and we create an objection? We create a problem that may not have happened in the first place?
1: Absolutely.
0: Wow, okay.
1: <laughs> and that's the key. I'm glad you brought that up because. You don't go through the list of the possible 20 objections that you're going to go through because they don't come up every time. You identify the things that you know are going to come up every time, and those are the ones that you want to pre-solve. You don't want to give them too many antibodies or too strong a dose because you're going to kill them, and that's not what you want. You're looking at the one, two objections that you know that are going to come up. You inoculate during your presentation so they don't come up, and it's going to go a lot Smoother.
0: So you you use the example of the legal profession, which is not a friend of the show. We, we've we made that clear. But <laughs> we, the, the attorney, the, the defense attorney or the prosecutor gets up and says, the defense is going to say this and that and the other. And that that is a adversarial atmosphere where everybody is expecting that two cases are going to be made and people are going to be squaring off. Right. It's mm-hmm. not always necessarily that blatant in a sales atmosphere. Right, Even though we do have ideas squaring off here, and somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. I mean, don't we have to be a little more subtle? Uh, we probably can't just say, hey, you're going to look at all these and you're going to be wrong. Right? I mean, how do we do it on a level that's subtle? Because I think that's the essence of inoculation. It has to be a weak form of the virus. What are some ways that we could actually do that? Uh, let me give you an
1: example. Let's say you're selling photocopiers and you're in there with a meeting, it's going pretty well, and you have the most expensive photocopier on the market. Top of the line. And you know the person right after you has the cheapest. And you know that salesperson is going to say, yeah, they're the most expensive. That's all they're going to say about you. So take the prospect and inoculate them. Say, look, a lot of people are going to say we're the most expensive and top of the line we are. But you know what? When you do the math with the toner and the service and it lasts three years longer, actually when you crunch the numbers and do the math, it's going to save you 20% a month. Now when that... Other salesperson says, yeah, they're the most expensive. They have the antibodies. They have the ammunition to, at least in their brain, to solve that.
0: Okay, okay. Anything else that we, sh- we can do? Because I think you probably got to have multiple approaches here, don't you?
1: Well, the key thing here is make sure they have the information that they need so when the objection or the question comes up from somebody else or in their own mind, it's already been solved. We see this all the time in, let's say, network marketing. You know, no matter how expensive or cheap – this network marketing company, is. people are going to say, it's too expensive, it's too expensive. Right. And you've seen this before, how now they compare network marketing to a franchise, and they compare it to Subway or McDonald's. You know, Subway's $100,000, to get in your own business, it's all set up, and then they compare it to the other, and you can talk about the difference and contrast it, so now the too expensive objection won't come up.
0: Okay. I had this happen to me the other day, and I've learned to inoculate against it, but yeah, I go I buy houses from people, houses that are really junky and, and need a lot of repairs, right? And so when people respond to my marketing letters, it's typically because they go, Oh, you know what, I can do this quick, I can do it for cash, no real estate agent involved, because people go, I don't wanna be dealing with an agent for months and having people tromping in and out of my house, right? So that's why that they would uh they would call me, somebody like me. Well, inevitably what happens is when I go see them and I make them an offer for their house, it's really low. And it has to be because usually their house is a piece of junk and I got to do a ton of repairs and I got to make money, right? But they don't understand that. They, they just see that, oh, I thought it was worth this and you're offering that, yuck, it's too low. And what inevitably happens is they think, I need to call some other guys and I need to go get some other people. And the fact is, is these other people are usually going to offer about the same amount that I am. I'm not worried about them necessarily. But what happens is a lot of these people are also real estate agents. And the person who initially didn't want to use a real estate agent begins reconsidering due to the low ball offers that they're getting, right? Mm. And because they, the person basically says to them, hey, you could use a real estate agent and you could get $40,000 more. Yeah, you waited a couple of months to do it, but hey, it's $40,000, right? So I've noticed that I need to be careful and I need to inoculate and say, hey, you know, that's great. Call other people. You should get the best that you can. Uh, within a short period of time. I'm going to tell you, though, they're going to try to get you to list the property, right? They're going to try to tease you with that and say you could get this much more money. Well, the fact is you could. But remember, after you pay your commissions and your fees and you carry the mortgage for a few more months, really, you're only getting this much more for how much more hassle, right? It's, it's an inoculation that I've learned to do. And more often than not, it works because the person calls me back and says, yeah, I had a few people over. I like I like your offer the most. And you're right. That one tried to get me to list it. They were very insistent, right? <laughs> it always happens, because when the person realizes, hey, this person doesn't want to sell at a big discount, I don't want, I don't want to try to get them to do it. I'm going to try to list it. So you kind of get familiar with this. The longer you're in your industry, you know what's going to happen, right? Yeah. When you know your product, that, that's
1: that's you know. a great example. And it's a key. You know what's going to come up. You know what's going to happen. You're not just pulling them out of the air. You inoculate. What's going to happen? That's important. We see it in presentation. Kind of the opposite. When people in presentation, sometimes they start off, today I'm going to persuade you. right? You've heard that before. And people inside are like, no, you're not. In fact, they did a study. They found out that when people started out, today I'm going to persuade you or I'm going to sell you or I'm going to convince you or you're going to see. People are going to start resisting up front versus if you you don't say those things at the first part of your presentation, it makes a huge difference in what you're able to do.
0: I found that another way to make it subtle Because that really is the essence of the inoculation is to not be so direct at the person. So if they object to you on price or on authority or something like that, instead of saying, well, you are going to screw up, you are going to have this happen. You can instead say, sure, I can understand why you would want to do that. I've had a lot of people in your situation say the same thing. What they typically find is this. So it's not saying you're going to fail, you're going to have this problem. You're saying, well, people do that and what they find is such and such. So you think the person uh, you're going to look like you have more credibility when that person finds it? Of course, instead of them like like you talked about in dissonance, right? When, When there's that awkward pressure between this is how my life needs to be and this is how it really is. Right. That pain that many people say in the sales industry, you got to find the pain. That's what motivates them to do something. And when that pain is there, one of the ways that you have said, Kurt, that people justify it and they bring themselves back into mental consistency is denial, which means they demean the source. Right. So if you're a salesperson and you've created that pain in the prospect. To try to get them to take action, to change, to sign on the dotted line, to give you the credit card number, because that's how you get paid. Well, one of the more popular ways for them to get back into mental consistency is to demean you and to say, well, you're just trying to get paid. You're just in this for the money, or you're just, what would you know? And so the more that that inoculation is not so much you coming at them, the less likely they're to do it, to, to come back at you with it. So, kind of go that that third person approach. We've you've heard in sales the feel, felt, found, right? The, mm-hmm. the you know, well, many people have felt this way, and they now feel or found. I don't know, I'm screwing it up. But do you want to elaborate on that?
1: Well, you're right. You don't want to be so direct. And you could use a statistic. You could use a story, like we've talked about. Stories persuade without detection. If I was selling life insurance and I knew they were going to want to think about it. Then you pull out the story of Frank who put off the life insurance and they were driving home one day in this terrible accident and left the family with three kids homeless, right? They're going to put themselves in that situation. That is another soft way to inoculate. So there's a variety of ways to do it, but you're right. Sometimes the indirect method where you're telling a story or you're talking about somebody else could be a great way to inoculate.
0: And We've talked so much about listening on the show. And I think, too, that when you can prove that you understand what the person is feeling, then you have more credibility to to inoculate them. So when you tell people things like, hey, have you ever felt like this? Or, uh, you know, when you're doing this, have you ever experienced that? Right. Because they go, oh, wow, that guy's in my shoes. Those weight loss infomercials are perfect. Right. The person says, <laughs> I do. was tired in the morning and I couldn't play with my grandkids. And and that target audience is looking at that going, hey, that's how I feel. It unlocks that empathy. So therefore, oh, that, the inoculation is so much more credible.
1: Oh, yeah. When that empathy's there, when you say, look, I was a, over 100 pounds overweight also. Or let me tell you what I did when my home was in foreclosure. When you can have that empathy and understand it, and inoculate it, I don't want you to make the mistakes that I've made. Let's talk about some of the things that you can do. Then all of a sudden the door wide open for ability to persuade them.
0: Yep, that's exactly right. Anything else you want to add to inoculation before we move on to our blunder?
1: Yes, you've got to have the booster shots. (laughs) (laughs) Inoculation is not a one-time thing, and the studies show that inoculations can erode over time they lose their effectiveness over time it's not just that one-time shot that's why we need the booster shot in fact one study revealed that the more you add these boosters it extends the persuasiveness of your original message And it doesn't have to be the same story or statistic or form of empathy you could use maybe some reciprocity or role plays additional information another report something else you found something to enhance your credibility So sometimes a little booster shot goes a long way, especially with teenagers. Just because you've inoculated them once, you better get those booster shots out so it stays and it sticks and they realize the importance of what you're talking about.
0: Good call. All right. Cue up the Homer. Homer, talk to us. Don't, don't, don't. Incoming. I've got the blunder today, and this really involves poor handling of an objection, right? Do you think it's a good idea that if your prospect objects to something you say to insult them?
1: I would say yes, because it makes the persuader feel better. It's a lot of fun. But then on the flip side, you've lost the sale. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it depends how you want to look at it. If you want to feel good and win the argument and slam somebody and put somebody in their place, hey, go for it. Feel good. You won't ever make any money. You'll never be a great persuader. But I guess you'll always feel good about yourself.
0: I've done that before, <laughs> though. i got to say, when you have a prospect that you know, it's just not going anywhere. <laughs> and you've had a bad day, and they're they're that straw that broke the camel's back. It does feel good to slap somebody every now and then verbally. <laughs> that it
1: does. That's why I say it depends on the situation. Yeah, but yeah. for the most part, I think what you're trying to get at is, no, if you want to put up <laughs> that brick wall of resistance and have them hate you and shut the doors of persuasion, then go for it.
0: Before I tell you the blunder, this is obvious, right? Don't insult the prospect when they have an objection. Now, that assumes, of course, that we're all on the same page as to what's an insult, right? And I think acting condescendingly to them or acting really defensive, that is borderline insulting. So sometimes we think that we're we're not being that way. But are you? Are you creating an atmosphere where they're going to feel defensive and attack by asking uh, the question? And I had a, a client of mine who was... Looking into a piece of property in Florida, and this was a seller who was willing to uh, carry financing. What that means is that the seller is willing to accept uh, monthly payments in lieu of a lump sum, and so they're going to charge some interest. They're they're acting like they're the bank, right? And my client was looking into the property, and this guy was kind of badgering him, saying, "Are you going to buy it? Are you going to buy it? Are you going to do this?" And my client said, "Well, I don't think so." After running the numbers. It's not going to make sense for me. The seller's response was, "That's a lie. The <laughs> numbers are this, and this this is a really good deal. So obviously you have not run them."
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, slammed on the brakes. That was probably the end of it, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, that was the end of it. You know, this is my client. I care about my clients. I want them to do well. And I was, I, I kind of wanted to call this guy. Hey, look, you're an idiot, man. You really think? Come on, what are you talking about? uh, (laughs) It's that knee
1: jerk reaction. That's teenage persuasion right there. In fact, my house, you know, teenagers want something. In fact, the word in my house is called anti suasion. Yes,
0: there you go.
1: (laughs) I know it's a made up word. And I I tell my my son, like, you really think that was going to work? I mean, that's anti suasion. You're going to get the opposite of what you want. If you want to make sure you didn't go out tonight and you lose your cell phone you did a really good job if that was your goal because that's where everything's
0: pointing. mission accomplished (laughs) good job buddy (laughs)
1: yeah 10 points oh no minus 10 points you got the points this will be minus 10 points but that that's a knee jerk reaction sometimes when those emotions hit and some people are missing some filters or they're saying what's coming to their mind we get a lot of these challenges and some strange things have been said in the persuasion process.
0: They have. And in in this instance, and this can apply to almost anything, when somebody gives you the objection, hey, this doesn't make any sense for me, right, when you are really convinced and you're really passionate about your product, you're going to have that knee-jerk reaction to call the other person an idiot. What do you mean (laughs) it doesn't make sense for you? It it makes all the sense in the world. You must be a moron, right?
1: (laughs) That's right. I explained that five minutes ago. You must not have been listening. You were looking at your cell phone. That might be true, but you can't treat it that way. It just goes back to our school days when we ask a question and feel stupid. If they feel that way, that you don't like the questions and the objections, they're just going to go home with their questions and their objections and their checkbook, and you won't get any business.
0: Right, right. And this is a very opportune time to do what they call the doorknob close, right? Because people, especially salespeople, when they get objections, they assume that the prospect is making an apples-to-apples comparison, Right. And that, oh, okay. Well, the prospect did their numbers, that they did their analysis, and well, they're wrong. But how how do you know what they were really thinking? And it's perfectly okay in this instance to use that doorknob close, which basically means, oh, I'm, I regret, I'm I'm sorry to hear that it didn't make sense to you. Uh, obviously, at first, with our advertising and everything that you saw, it did. And uh, I, I'd be curious to see why why didn't it make sense to you. I I, res- I respect your decision. I don't want to convince you otherwise. I just I kind of want to see your point of view here, right?
1: Yeah, I gotta love the doorknob and you're, you're reaching for it. The resistance goes down. It, it'd be that simple. Say, wow, it seemed like a perfect fit. This was going to make you an extra five thousand dollars a month in your business. Can you tell me where I blew it, or can you help me out here? Mm-hmm. Can you show me? And then, you know, the resistance is down, and then all of a sudden you get the true objection that you can. A, use for next time, and B, probably solve it right then and there.
0: Yeah, because, the I mean, this thing is dead. I've, worst case scenario, they say, no, I'm not going to tell you. Well, you still lost the sale. But I found, too, that psychologically they kind of feel bad, right? <laughs> that's right. So you hurt,
1: if you start crying and say, you hurt my feet, yeah, it yeah. works really well.
0: <laughs> it, it works really well. but They feel bad because they sent you packing, and that's awkward. You know, most people – don't like to do that. So you saying, well, hey, effectively, tell me where I went wrong. There's a little bit of obligation in the bank there. And so they might say, well, you know, for me, this was the issue, right? Then it gives you a chance to get back there and and, and turn around, possibly.
1: It works really well. And then for all persuaders that are listening, if someone's going to sit there and listen to you, and you know they're not going to buy, keep talking. Because you can practice all your different techniques on them. So sometimes, especially with new salespeople, if they're going to keep listening, try this, try that, you know they're not going to buy. But a lot of times, if they're going to listen or stay on the phone, sometimes that's a good arena for you to practice some different things. So when you really need them, you got them
0: all polished up. There you go. If they're going to listen <laughs> to you, you might as well talk. That's right. Keep talking. <laughs> try
1: some different closes or techniques. It's uh, actually very helpful.
0: Yeah, it's true. It's true. I, you know, when I go see houses, the people who taught me to do my business said, hey, you go on every appointment for anybody that agrees to an appointment. Right. And I quickly realized that many people would agree to appointments that were completely not qualified (laughs) to do business with me. And I got very frustrated with it. Like, what am I doing? Driving all over creation, seeing these deadbeats that can't do business with me. Right. And I asked one of the higher ups in the company who was in charge of training me. I said, "Okay, hey, come on, look, I can be a good soldier. Right. I can do what I'm told. it really helps. It's a lot easier for me to do it if it makes sense in my head. (laughs) What are we doing here? And he said, it's very simple. You're not going to have to do this all the time, but you have to understand and learn these techniques because, yeah, most of the people you do talk to are deadbeats. But if Mm -hmm. you've been and seen all of them, when you get one that's good, now you know what to do. Now you know what to say because you've practiced a million times. (laughs)
1: That's so true. I tell it to the college students. They say, well, how would I do to get this job? I have this job interview. I said, go on 10 you don't care about, <laughs> right? Practice, get a feel for it. Make sure the job you want is not your yeah. first interview, and that's true with any aspect of persuasion.
0: Yeah. All right, good. Good stuff, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us on the show. Please send us your feedback to maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com, and I think we're going to roll those. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. influence at gmail.com. Send us your comments, your ninjas, your, your Homer Simpson's uh, blunders. Anything else or that, that you want to tell us, we're happy to respond. And we will catch you next week on another episode of Maximize Your Influence. Thanks.
1: Catch you next week.